Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All because of a fancy bike? It's not just a bike. Peloton makes treadmills, too. Eh, all treadmills are the same. Our treadmills can adjust speed and incline automatically, so you never break your stride. Whether you're squeezing in a power walk or training for a marathon, Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try the Peloton Tread risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. For some people, it's an uncomfortable topic, but poop is one of those words that sounds exactly like what it is. Bon Scott once wrote a song called Hell Ain't a Bad Place to Be. But take note, he never wrote a song called Using a Bathroom After Ace Fraley Isn't a Bad Place to Be. Because I can assure you it is. Growing up, I never gave into peer pressure. I never drank or did drugs. Of course, being a freakishly tall, only child, Israeli immigrant who drew his own comics, you know, I wasn't exactly invited to a lot of parties, so... I was there through the ages, chased next to the cages, I have seen you eat your own. I'm the cycle of faith of a thousand-year-old reign. Welcome to Cobras and Fire. I'm your host, Luce Cannon along with the vengeful Baco. How are you, sir? I am well. Glad to be talking to you so soon. Uh, um, been uh, uh, Oxycontin-free for a week now. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yes. Uh, and, yeah, so today this is a complete out of, well, not completely out of nowhere, but in a, in a prompt to recording just because I had a little bit of time tonight, and so did Baco. So we didn't really plan this, but... This episode, we are going to cover track by track, and as well as giving a little uh, background on both of us, the 25th anniversary of Revenge is this year. Yes? Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, what? Uh, well, hold on. I had the release date. There was in May at one point. I think May 19th. Yeah, May 19th. Yep. May Boom. 19th. Boom. And there's a fact. We are factually challenged, but we actually have a, a little bit of information. Yes? Suck it, FB. <laughs> Fact bastard. So, <laughs> hey, anyway, so, drink? 
I am actually. Yes. Oh, you can, nice. you heard so, that? Yeah, mixing it up a little bit. I, I'm drinking yeah, a Rolling yeah. Rock. I haven't had one in a quite a while. It's uh, it's uh, underrated. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I think it's perfectly rated actually. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm having a little tequila and uh, lemonade. I call it a poor man's uh, margarita. It's a uh, actually tastes very nice. And uh, so anyway, I. This this episode is inspired by, and if you haven't heard it, go back to our loose, drunk, and angry episode where we go on a rant about kind of Paul's recollection of the Revenge album. Correct? Yeah, and the subsequent tour, which was the most successful tour in Kiss history. <laughs> and we'll go into that too. Yeah. <laughs> but so I felt it was a good idea if, if you want to kind of start about where you were, because we have two different timelines. Oh, absolutely. My, mine is drastically different than yours. I'm as far as like how this. we got into Kiss. Yeah, because uh, I mean, I was 77. I got into him as a seven year old and you were you were non makeup era, right? Yeah, I was non makeup era. And I guess, um, you know, for yourself, not really going into how you got into them initially, but kind of where you were around, I would say, like 87 up till 92, like that five-year period, if you can kind of mm-hmm. kind of recollect on where your fandom was at that point. Um, Man, I was totally drinking the Kool-Aid, you know, um, basically after Lick It Up. You know, I, I it was always a fan, but that was really when it would be it kind of became my band. And I was like... By 87, there was two things I wanted to do. It was get laid and talk about Kiss. And I got to do one of those <laughs> things a lot more than the other. <laughs> Something tells me that by that comment that you were more familiar with socks than you were ladies. Yes? <laughs> I don't know that I had, uh, had been uh, introduced to the beauty of the jerk sock in 1987. <laughs> Probably late 90s is when I think it was first uh, um, thrust upon my lifestyle. <laughs> I got to tell you, who knew that our calling card would be talking about footwear uh, footwear <laughs> for, I think, like 15 episodes in a row now? Yeah. Is that about right? At least 10. Yeah, you have a tendency to bring it up more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, because you brought it up in that, that Uber Rock episode randomly. It was an off-the-cuff remark. It was it was what we called our fantasy football trophy back in the day. <laughs> but, okay, so continue on, though. You, you, were, you were obsessed. You were drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah, I mean, I, I loved everything, even though it wasn't a lot of it wasn't very good. Um I mean, because like Asylum, I, now I, I have almost, I almost never go back to that one. I can still at least, you know, kind of get some, I don't know, what do you, what do you call it, nostalgia value out of that one. Yeah. Crazy Nights, I think it's about a half a good record. Uh, but at the time, I basically ate up everything. You know, I even kind of pretended to like my way for a week. <laughs> yeah. Hot in the Shade, I think it's still a great record. And, of course, leading up to Revenge, uh, they really bookended what I consider their their uh, their non-makeup era great. Going Lick It Up and Revenge are probably one and two from auto all those albums. So, Okay, good. So we have some common ground there. And, by the way, it's, it, it's refreshing to hear you actually say something, po- not you personally, but, but the fact that I'm hearing that, that – uh, positive remarks about Hot in the Shade from anyone because that album gets shit on all the time. Yes, I mean it's bloated because of the like the fifteen track thing that you and I harp on all the time. Sure, uh, but there is uh, there's great music on there. There is, yeah. I, I agree. Some of their best songwriting of that era, and it was kind of the 
the tip, you know, this kind of led into revenge, which eventually gave way to Carnival of Souls, where they really let Bruce go. But uh, you started to actually see that Bruce act had something to offer, and you you, you, you looking back, we we know that he was kind of like handcuffed the first couple of records he did with him. Okay, so after Hot in the Shade, did you see them on that tour? Yep, yep. Okay, twice. Nice. Um, and then ninety one, you've got the God gave rock and roll single with the video. Uh, mm-hmm. That did that do anything for you? It did. Uh, I again, I think it was more. I almost kind of forced myself to get into it. Now I, I appreciate it a lot more. I, I think it's a great song. Uh, I, I love what they did with it. So, okay. And I guess my question is, was your anticipation for the release of this album more or the same as Crazy Nights, Hot in the Shade, etc.? Um, yeah, probably a little more. Because, uh, you know, my boy Wilson, he lives out there with you in uh, Denver. Uh, we were roommates at the time. Uh, it was our second or third year in, at uh, Rochester Community College. And... Um, we were doing dishes of all things, listening to the hard rock uh, station 93X, waiting for them to premiere the new Kiss song. And it was one of those classic 80s, 90s radio moments where it's like, yeah, and coming up, the new Kiss song. And like 45 minutes later, they actually play it. But it was like this boner inducing moment when I heard Unholy for the first time it was like a Gene single and it was good and it was like when is this album coming out and I was a member of the New England Kiss Collectors Network and I got my (laughs) newsletter where they broke down every song and I was like I can't wait to hear all of these songs okay it was uh so yeah I was super pumped Okay, cool. Plus, they're coming off a of Hot in the Shade, which is a great revival. Nice, long, year-and-a-half tour. Yeah. Um, uh, it, everything was kind of a, a little bittersweet with what happened with Eric Carr. But So how about you, though? I mean, uh, you were kind of st- starting to get into Kiss around the time we were just talking about with 87, if I understand you right. Where, were you, where, were your, where was your head at? Yeah, so I was 13 in 87, and up to that point, I'd heard Look It Up, Heaven's on Fire, saw the videos, Tears Are Falling, but it was... It was the whole thing where 86, 87 is when I realized, you know, from the, what was that? What was the other one besides Columbia House where you got all the cassettes? BMG, and it was RCA right before that, so I'm not sure where it switched over. Yeah, BMG and and uh, Columbia House. I started ordering a bunch of just, you know, and I realized. Did you actually ever fulfill your, your end of the agreement? <laughs> I, actually, I think <laughs> I did with Columbia House at one point. I never once did. I, I've signed up so many times. I remember I learned the fact that when they sent you your mandatory one for the month, that you could actually write return to sender in, uh, in Sharpie marker and just throw it back in the mail, and it would go right back to them. <laughs> it's amazing. Did you know that? Yeah. Did you know that? Uh, yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah, and the we won't get too deep into this, but there's, uh, I think it's on YouTube. There's a documentary about someone who worked at Columbia House uh, out of college in like the early 90s. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, no, I'd like to see that because the whole thing, they actually had the distribution of, I think, Terre Haute, Indiana. And a, bu- mm, yeah. a buddy of mine worked there. Where Gene writes a lot of songs. <laughs> he does on the note, the note paper, right? The Holiday Inn. Yeah. It's a place in, uh, yeah. He, he stole reams of paper from there. <laughs> At the Holiday Inn. Went, went to the front desk. Hello, do you have any more paper? 
I mean, unbelievable. They, they don't give me this much paper at Hojo's. <laughs> yeah, they're living it up. I mean, holiday ends. They're making millions of dollars. Okay. So, <clears throat> hey, this is a holodome. But uh, anyway, going back to this, 87, uh, Crazy Nights come out, came out. I bought it. Wasn't thrilled with it. Um, you know, I saw Paul Stanley's ball hair for, I think, the first and last time. Is that correct? For that yeah. picture with his low, <laughs> his low uh, cut jeans. I, I mean, again, I'm, I'm much more sophisticated than you. Um, I thought he, you know, because that was during the whole AIDS, you know, nobody knew what the fuck AIDS was really still. I thought Paul looked thin and may have had AIDS. I was worried about him and you're looking at his junk. Yeah. So, so let me tell you how much I knew about Kiss at this point. He's a hairy man, Luce. <laughs> yes, but but <laughs> yeah, okay. But for God's sake, do some manscaping. <laughs> but but uh, so <clears throat> you know, this is how, how little I knew about Kiss, and obviously I didn't read the liner notes enough because I wasn't that interested in that album. But the vocals for Gene <laughs> on that album are so smoothed out, more than Cra- Crazy Nights. We're talking, yeah, Crazy Crazy Nights, and yeah, I kind of dig it. What his his smoothed out vocals. Yeah, yeah. Right, but I'm saying that, that because all the singles from during the 80s were all Paul, I didn't even know that there was a different singer. I thought, oh, you thought I thought that Paul was just changing his voice a little bit in other songs because, you know, Guns N' Roses did that with uh, uh-huh. It's So Easy, sounded completely different. For, yeah, and I think, remember they had like a disclaimer in there, all vocals, Axl Rose. Right. Or W. Axel Rose. You know, I thought Eric Carr sung Tears Are Falling until I saw the video. <laughs> See, it's it's all, it's, it, anyway, so that's how much I knew about them. And I was like shocked because somebody's like, you know, Gene Simmons is the lead singer of Kiss. I'm like, what do you mean? Paul Stanley. But that's that's the image is that that was such a Paul band during mm-hmm. the 80s. So I dismissed them. I went on to Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits. Uh, I thought it was, you know, that I'd heard some of those songs for the first time. And then I heard... My buddy gave me a live too, and a live, and I started getting into the more hot in the shade came out. Uh, I dug about eh, two thirds of the album, but I thought mm-hmm. I thought I don't know if you had this too the first time you heard the album. I thought the guitar sounded odd, like on hot in the shade. Yeah, they just sounded like and and, and now yeah, now we it know is it's a kind of a dry sound on that one. Um, and it's not real consistent because, like, the, there's a couple parts where they use acoustics, and, and they're just this really nice, bright, clean, and clear thing. But once the uh, electric kicks in, it's a little flatter, a little dry. Yeah, now we know it's all polished. Very processed. Yeah, now we know it's all polished up demos, but I know it, you know, we don't know these things then. And, right, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and at that point, too, I had, I had been completely the Kool-Aid that you're talking about. I had been drinking it so much because they were the most interesting band when it came to interviews, I'd, I'd get my metal edge circus stuff like that. And every other interview with somebody would be boring as, as, as hell. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but they would just, they're the greatest interview <laughs> band, right? Yeah. Cause during that time, the eight things Gene still says were fresh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. And I bought into like, it. Yeah, I got these eight, comments i'm going to make and if you're a female interviewer at some point i'm going to imply that we'll have sex (laughs) i thought they were the best and they had funny stories and they would always like uh break down the songs that were coming up it was all they're the greatest bullshit artists of all time and and 
and just the, the PR. In hindsight, though, doesn't it look like it turns out like they're actually hokey and kind of old, weird Jews? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they weren't like Stephen Piercy at that time cool, you know, or, you know, all the cool bands, you know. They were like doing like, you know, weird. <laughs> I mean, Gene had so many dumb jokes. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I think I've seen. Ex- no, it's like your grandpa would tell you those jokes. But yeah, at the time I was like, oh man, he's the fucking coolest guy ever. <laughs> and walked into a doctor's office with a frog on my head. Frogs had started <laughs> with a bump on my ass. I know. And I hadn't seen Exposed yet until until later than that. But but yeah, and 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 I I you know I'd seen that after that point too and that that i was like oh this this is so these guys are funny all that all that but i guess the whole thing was that they always played up the 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 were the biggest band in the world hype right like the biggest stage show all through the 80s they, they mm-hmm. acted as if yeah. they were the greatest selling band right did you ever read uh chris lent's book i, I assume you have oh absolutely wherever they- kiss and sell yeah i mean he he uh backs that up that like how hard it was to get them to like financially scale things back just a bit so they they tried to deliver at least right and and that everything was crumbling and that's why on hot in the shade we know the fact that they just decided not even to have a producer on that one you know just put it out cheap and pretty much why they don't do it now too but oh uh, yeah maybe a different reason but yeah but anyway. but so and then i kind of my i was just like okay they're okay but they weren't they definitely weren't on my top five or anything like that and then i then i saw i still remember it i was actually at a holiday inn <laughs> and saw that we were on like vacation or whatever like that and that that were you living in sin or is this before you got married definitely uh not in sin yet but <clears throat> anyway so I, I saw the video for the first time and i was i saw that footage of all the the makeup era and all the the you know clips from all the bootlegs we've seen now but i've never it's seen it's a cool video yeah I actually, I really dig Paul's pants in it. I'm not kidding. Uh, they're leather with uh, little skulls on the hips with star eyes. I think they're cool. Were they higher than the ball hair line in that video? I, I, as far as I remember, I think he was just wearing a vest, right? Like, I don't uh, know. There, maybe one of Jeff Lynn's Paisley vests. There was obviously a flood in the warehouse that day. Yeah, yeah. It does. I was really worried they might electrocute themselves. But then I remember, wireless. There you go. But... Yeah, so I saw that, and then I was like, oh, my gosh, there's so much history here. And, you know, the song had the whole trading vocals from Gina Paul. They never had that since the 70s. Am I accurate on that? Yeah. You're oh, oh, oh. Think, uh, but uh, except for I, an elder. Mm, correct. That would have been the, the – yeah, that was the the, the, the the previous one. And, God. Then shout, shout it out loud, pretty much, right? Isn't that about it? Yeah, shout it out loud. Uh, don't they do well? Kissing time, technically. Yeah, but that's previous. Let me know. Mm-hmm. So I was on. I was. I was in. So that's kind of my pro- progression on to. And then what took me over the 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 whatever. Think of an do an analogy. You're much better at this. Tell me how how exciting. Uh, that that uh, basically took you to the peak and dropped you off the edge like a. Uh, lion throwing Simba into the fire. Oh my God, that's brilliant. Well done. Impromptu. Have you ever used that one before? No, and I've never seen that movie, so is that what happens? <laughs> anyway, so let's move on from, from Disney cartoons. And so, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I saw that video, I think it came out in like April, or it came out a couple, like almost like two months before the album dropped, I think. 
Does that sound about right? Yeah. You know, I think it was probably closer to a month, but yeah, it seemed like forever. Yeah. So, forever. oh, nice. So I had, I had, uh, uh, this is this is how extreme I was. I took that video, recorded it on VHS, then because I'm a mastermind, took the uh, whatever the red and and yellow or red and white uh, audio outputs of of that mm. into my into my jam box and recorded it. Oh, you had a stereo VCR? Yeah, I guess so. Oh, I guess. And apparently, that you didn't lose that in the fire. <laughs> <laughs> that was previous to the fire. And no, actually, that was. You know how much a stereo VCR cost in 1992? I, I don't even know. More than a Russian mail order bride. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't even a stereo. My point is, I figured out how to, to rig <laughs> the output of the VHS to my jam box, record it onto a cassette, and then be able to listen to that, like playing outside, like on my walk. Yeah, I had done that with a bunch of stuff, really? to be honest okay. with you, but it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't stereo. Uh, but I did it with like when that Kiss MTV concert. I did that too. I did that. Put that on a yeah. cassette too. Anyway. Yeah. So that's how you were saying. Yeah. So I, that's how hyped it was. And then I remember buying it that day, taking it home. Uh, I got got well, got there that morning thinking there was going to be a line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Wilson and I might have thought that too. But uh, um, and uh, we were definitely there before the doors opened. Yeah, like. Just Freaks. And we were not exactly early risers. So. <laughs> so got there at 10 a.m., got it, raced home, uh, put it in, in, and I had a, a, you know, stereo was set up and just cranked that motherfucker. And and I was like, wow, this is sonically amazing. And I can we can kind of go from the track for, uh, by track from here. Well, you talking about the music video. I remember when it premiered on Headbangers Ball. There's another buddy of mine who, uh, he was the, like, Wilson and I met in high school. This is the guy that when I was six or seven, you know, our dads were friends. We ended up going to the same school together, but we met outside of school. Um, but he, So it's the three of us. We're all diehard Kiss fans, and we were just getting fucked up waiting to see this video in my God, you should. I wish I could see a video. Uh, I wish there was a like a recording of us talking about what we just saw after we saw it. We were I'm like hair. I'm, I'm getting a little excited talking about it. We were so fucking pumped for this new record. Yeah, that's was, same on me. Like, like I saw that and I was like, wow. It's like this is just the, the demon is back. Just the way they would they would they would move the, the mm-hmm. guitar, uh, he would move his bass back and forth. And Paul's T-shirt said, fuck. I know. And then he had he would roll his eyes back where you just see the whites of his eyes. Yeah. And they had this weird. Well, that's a, that's acting, though. You got to remember, he's a pretty good actor. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, why should we hire you? Well, I could just show you the whites of my eyes. I mean, Bruce looked less douchey. And it was all that stuff leading up to it, too, that I realized he was in all, like movies in the, the 80s, like Runaway and stuff like that. It was they were just they were just larger than life. Uh, I saw Runaway in the theater, and I actually (laughs) thought it was really good. I did, too, when I saw it as a kid. Yeah, I was like 12. But uh, <laughs> what was the movie where he ate a grenade and his head exploded? And he was playing like Wanted Dead or Alive. Saw that in the theater too. Fucking thought it was one of the best movies I ever saw. I didn't see any of the movie. That, you're amazing. And then um, was that Rutger Hauer? Is that is that right? Yeah, it was Rutger Hauer. What about the one where he's a woman uh, uh, with John Stamos? <laughs> I did not see. I did not see that, but I did see uh, Trick or Treat. Never too young to die. 
With and vanity's naked in it most of the time. Oh yeah, nice. It's a lot of jerk sock material for you, Luz. <laughs> Absolutely. You got uh, Apollonia plus vanity done. Um, <laughs> but you've got uh, then you got um, what was trick or treat? Was that eighty eight or eighty nine? Roughly. Does that sound right? Oh no, earlier than that. I want to say eighty six. Okay. Okay. But yeah, so you're, I actually still enjoy that movie a lot. I, it's like, but because it's a horror movie, you don't have to take it as serious. Yeah, I haven't seen that since. What am I saying? I watch all those movies all the time. <laughs> it's too bad he wasn't the star of Human Centipede. Then he would take the. Oh, that would be so good. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, so how, how do you want to? You want to just break into this? I know we bantered a lot here to the lead in, but it, but the reason I, that I wanted to go through that. Um, is because this is what sealed the deal for me um, in in my lifelong uh, obsession as a kissaholic. Okay, this is the this is the, very cool. Yeah, so that this is because I saw the tour in this one. I'd only seen Doctor Feelgood is my only concert before this, so it was like bang, done. Um, so you want to do track by track, or do you want to do? Yeah, let's about halfway through. Maybe we talk about the concert and the tour a little bit. Yeah, that so. sounds good. Um, so I'm. So you go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you go first, sir. You have the floor. Well, you know, kind of. Like, I, I really dig the way. Uh, I'm not a huge. Believe it or not, I, I respect Bob Ezrin a lot. I think he's an actual producer. I'm. I think it's somewhere along the line, and it might have been this record that I just realized that I'm not that personally invested into him let's put it that way I, he, does, he does a fine job but I, I do think he's more on the side of crafting the song than making it sound amazing i'm, uh, I'm on so, the i'm on the other end i, I think that this, this is one of their best sounding albums as far as just the the i can hear every little thing and i'll go into it the fact that another thing i thought was great on this is that they were singing together you could hear both gene and paul on on almost every track you know what I mean? Like like your asylum and your craziness just had this big, you know, one of those gang vocals. This, this might actually tie back into our previous conversation. You're absolutely right. He is very good at getting a great mix in the proper EQ setting for every voice, instrument, and, and bass. This was a, this was ahead. This was ahead. I don't think he's done anything that is just sonically brilliant. And I think Destroyer sounds a hundred times better than anything he did with Cooper. Hmm. Anyway, well, we're, that's a side conversation. But the so I'd look for our Bob Ezrin episode coming soon, people. Yeah, and all that that would be a good one too. But anyway, so going back to this, like you know, you could hear, you could hear all. But they really didn't sing together on those those eighties albums. It was all like gang vocals, and you could tell it was from other people. You know what I mean? If it was a Paul track, if it was Gene track, you didn't hear Gene do any lines at all. I, I know where you're going with it. it. It definitely stands out more in this, but I, I don't agree with that as a general statement. I, I think those two have a certain harmony sound that is is really cool, uh, and it, it sticks out. You know, and I don't know, I, but. You're definitely right that it is more prominent and upfront on this record than anything, you know, I don't know, post, I don't know, okay. Dynasty. or Okay. And on this one, I mean, the solo on this, Unholy, incredible. Yes? Yeah. You know, I've never been a big Bruce Kulick solo guy, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah, but it's great. Whatever. This is the one that I think that he just took off. Everybody says this, but about this where oh he he finally played with played i think the quote was he played with his balls <laughs> which is kind of the wrong 
exact way to say that versus his. Uh, uh, that's, <laughs> uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll personal commentary on it. I will say at least Bruce didn't have to sound like somebody else. He could, you know, he was kind of shaped early on, but he was never shaped to be. You know, a mimic of Ace or anything like that. He was always he you know, was just wanted a, to kind of fit. He, he was the, more of a noodler on this one. Yeah, and they, they, I think early on they, they were a little more restrained with him because they weren't sure if they could trust him. By this record, it seemed like, and maybe it was Bob Ezrin saying, "We're gonna let the guy play." Right. And there's no doubt that the, you know, Bruce Kulick can play. Oh yeah. So, <clears throat> and I'm looking at the the CD right now, and I realize I have no idea how this happened, but when I went and interviewed. Bruce Kulick, I must have not taken my Revenge CD with me because it is not signed. I've got Unplug signed. I've got uh, Carnival <laughs> Soul signed. For some reason, this album is not signed, which is a sin. But uh, continuing on, so Unholy, I love every. I love. I love every. Moment. <laughs> you know, I was deaf through the ages, changed slave through the cages. <laughs> What a fucking great song, man. I, and this other thing, too, is the lyrics were a little out there. You know, I'd never heard anything like that since, like, you're... Uh, if you went back to the point I've listened to Lick It Up and stuff, like, uh, you're not for the innocent. You know what I mean? Like, that kind of, like, just oh, evil, evil lyrics like that. I let you down to sleep, your soul to keep, better cross your heart before you die. God. Seriously, I, I'm, 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 can we, uh, I'll call you back. I'm going to need five minutes to listen to this song real quick.
I really don't know what else to say. The the video was amazing. It was really cool. It still actually holds up. You know, I mean how music videos don't have typically a timeless aspect to them. This one's not too bad. Uh, and by the way, it was the return of the Iceman in Paul Stanley's hands. That was a big fucking boner for me, man. Yeah, see, I don't recognize that, but I'm going to crack this open because we got to love more tracks. You ready? Yeah, so then I'm, I'm, la- I'm listening to this song, and then it fades out, and then it goes into a titty bar song. Take it off! And the 18-year-old me at that time was like, yes, this is like girls, 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 the kiss version. Now. Man, I remember uh, within a, uh, I think probably the summer of 92 it had to be. Yeah, because I, as a matter of fact, I know it was because that's when I got into printing. I dropped out of college, got into printing, and quit my job at the country kitchen and went to a tit bar. And I saw a stripper perform her, you know, little show to this song. That is amazing. And it was like, everything about my life is perfect right now. <laughs> and then I went and peed in a, a trough filled with ice for some reason. <laughs> That's a beautiful. It's a beautiful story. You should always tell it to everyone. You should actually start with that when you meet somebody for the first time. He's like, that should always be your opener. I'm saving it for the grandkids. Okay, that's good. Um, yeah, it's it's got everything. It it, uh, it it made me rise to it. This song. Let me let me just say that. Zing. The thing I liked about this is such such an arrogant statement is. I do my one-stop shopping for the girl of my dreams because I can always be sure she's as good as she seems. So he's he's doing, you know. I'm not even sure. Is this what is this song about? Um, you know, kind of like uh, you know, retail that offers everything, like a Walmart or a Target. I've I've always wondered, like, what what is Take It Off about, Paul?
He's examining the goods before he decides to, to take it home. So it's... it's He's good as he seems. Take it off. The, the local titty bar. I was like, yes. But um, we've got... Uh, the odd thing is that you've got uh, Kane Roberts of uh, Rambo, <laughs> Rambo uh, Machine Gun, Ellis Cooper fame as a co-writer on this song. Yeah. <laughs> Can, now, can you see him in the you studio? You know a little bit about him, right? Uh, you know, he, he had like a little bit of a solo career with a, uh, a top 40 single. I, I don't know much about him at all. I just know he was the... Well, his, his I think his first solo album was like, I'm Rambo Guitar Guy. <laughs> and the next one was like a Desmond Child, just super polished pop song that, uh, does anybody ever fall in love anymore? I didn't know that. He actually got a top 40 hit. Oh, yeah. I don't think the album sold very well, but it, it was definitely a top 40 hit. Amazing. Amazing. But, uh, yeah, so this was a one-two punch, and I just loved how... I what he's doing now. You know, he looks a lot like Bobby Rock. I can see that. But, yeah, so this is a one-two punch for me, and also it was the, the thing is they, they never mentioned it. There was never anything in the interviews, but when I would look at the liner notes, I saw Vincent on Unholy. Mm. Did you know he was involved before? The album came out? Yeah, because of that. I remember I said I was a member of the New England Kiss Collectors Network. Okay, okay. Which was really just a, a shitty photocopied newsletter I got four times a year for five bucks. Yes. And um, one comment I've heard about this album from another uh, podcast. And it was actually, I think, uh, when uh, BJ, BJ Kramp, one of the organizers mm. of, of the Rock and Pods Expo, is that he said, Revenge, he's not a fan. And he says that Revenge is... Hot in the Shade with better production. And I heard that, and I don't completely disagree with that. What are your thoughts? D- certain songs. Hmm. I'm not talking about Unholy, but just just take that. Yeah, I don't think they, they, they really, um, with the exception of a couple tracks, they really didn't revere too far off from that. I don't understand how that makes it not good. Well, he, he has a whole thing that I don't agree with, but that's and that's fine. But but I but I'm saying from the, the general, I think it's because he's not the Hot in the Shade fan too but i thought of that and i'm like okay there was similar because okay. of the fact that i liked hot in the shade more than anything since look it, yeah, look it mean, up i mean if he's if he's using it as a reason why it's not good then i disagree with him on that because i really felt uh asylum and crazy nights was the dip you know what i mean and actually if it, it almost made like a it, it's almost like if you if you rate them on a curve and it, it's like a smile and the the left side of it is lick it up, and the right side is revenge. <laughs> and then You're it's right. just like, yeah, it's animalized, then uh, asylum, then crazy nights, then hot in the shade, starting to bring it back up, and then you get to uh, revenge, which you know. Is- yeah, no, I think that's a perfect analogy. Uh, that's how I would rate the entire catalog during the eighties. Anything else on this? No, it's I I I think so far we're both going two for two, right? Yep. You know, at this time. I'm just thinking that this record is huge, you know, from all from the hype from being a Kiss fan a year out. Okay, like I, 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 I well, you're even younger than me, and 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 also the internet doesn't exist, so right. we don't really get all the real stories. True. Yeah, it was one of their highest charting records that, that, in a long time. Yeah, that's how I guess what I was saying is like the first week I think it was number seven, 
And I think it was higher than that. Hold on. I fortunately I have that information in front of me. I do know this. Mm-hmm. Somebody who I regretfully had never heard well, actually thankfully had never heard of, uh beat them out for the top debut of the week. Do you know who that artist is? And I know this off the top of my head. <sighs> no idea. He has an achy breaky heart. Oh wow. I didn't think that it was all the way back in ninety two for Billy Ray Cyrus. Okay. Don't take my heart. Okay, anyway, um, I think it came in at, uh, well, I'm trying to find it now. Keep going. Um, yeah, I'm going to say, well, anyway, it was in the top 10, and then after that, it just vanished pretty much. But it did go gold. Yeah. It did go gold, I think. came in at six. Okay. Oh, it's close. Next song. Hold on. Go to yeah. bed. I want you to snuggle my No. It is 9 o'clock at night. I can't go to sleep. Well, Keep playing then and go, and go to bed. Lay in bed. I'm on an important call. I can't go to sleep. I, I can't go to sleep. If I open my eyes and you are still here in three seconds, then I am calling Evan's mom, Sophia, and she is not. And he is not coming over to the party tomorrow. Do you understand? You make the choice. But, 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 One, two, three. Hello. Yeah, that is. Uh, those are some classic parenting moves you're using there. It, it is like the day before Christmas because we're having this party for for. Mm-hmm. We're you mentioned that. Party. Yeah, so it's like they're all amped up about tomorrow. But uh, um, next up is Tough Love. What do you got? Well, this is obviously the first single. It should have been right, <laughs> according to Paul. Any song that he sang <laughs> should have been the first single. But uh, yeah, uh, your thoughts. Eh, it's okay. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Now, if we were doing the Rock and Roll Geek Show scoring card, which is excellent, where if a song you love is a one, if a song that's eh is a half, and if it's if it's a song you don't want at all, it's a zero. And then you add it all up and divide it by the number of songs, and that's your percentage of how much you like the album. So, all right, so we're going to keep a running score. We got one and one so far, right? Yeah, this one is also a half for me, and... Um, I've heard it compared to Sad But True, like the whole like riff. I don't completely hear it, but the thing that, the thing that kills it for me is the chorus. I want to take you, baby, going to break you. Give me tough love. That's some good gene there. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what kills it's it for me. It's a mean gene. I do like the bridge, and I do like the solo. So that has enough to make me not give it a zero.
But it's definitely the, you know, the third spot. You're like, eh, yeah. Yeah, honestly, I'm sure I was masturbating furiously in a corner at some point uh, listening to this song. Like, uh, I remember Wilson and I bought it. We brought it back to the house and then, like... (laughs) Sat in jerks. We're like, I do like no. the thing about that. It's kind of like bondage. I tie you to the rings. I feel your fees are feet. Oh my god! I like how it's bondage, where it's <laughs> I tie you to the rings. I feel your <laughs> fever rise. We love no, to, I mean, you know was, what I mean? It was definitely something him and I would do with a lot of records that meant a lot to both of us. We would, we, I, it was really cool actually. We just we go buy it, we come home, we sit down and we would listen to it. We'd read the lyrics, the liner notes, and we, you know, and then we'd listen to it again. So, yeah, th- those days are gone, but that was, you know, cool. I hear you, I hear you. And that one's uh, co-written by Stanley Kulik and Ezrin. So, uh, you know. Uh, Bob Kulik, just kidding. Uh, Bruce Kulik is getting some currents <laughs> on this album. But you have anything else to say about this one? Because it's again, there's there's a couple bits that I like, but it, but definitely there's a reason they never played this live on the tour. And you know, I mean, they hit like four or five songs off this live, right? So I mean, come on, there's no way this make this is making the cut. No, but that was, and we'll touch on this later. But that was what was really cool about. The tour, I thought, is they knew they had a standout album because the most they would ever play is three. Yeah, typically. Yeah. Um, they never play more than three, you know, live. Oh, didn't they play the entire Monster record on <laughs> the Monster Tour? I don't think so, no. No, of course not. So, anything else? Next! Spit, a song that has a love-hate relationship in the KISS community. You want me to go first or you? I got no manners and I'm not too clean, but I know what I like if you know what I mean. I love this song. Yeah, you go first. I love it too. I don't care if it's it's cliche and everything like that. The whole thing is a vocal trade-off between Paul and Gene here and there throughout the song. The the riffs, the ridiculous fucking, uh, you know, national anthem, right? <laughs> yeah. The bigger the cushion, the sweeter the pushing. You got oh, this definitely. You got the, the all that stuff. And this is the thing too, is that I'm coming from knowing Gene from Hot in the Shade and Crazy Nights. Oh and, yeah. And this is the first time I'm hearing his like even even I remember my younger brother who had heard me play this shit for for uh for a while. Like when he heard and we'll go into it, Domino and Spit, he's like, Wow, Gene's his vocals are rough. It was rough. He's like, this awesome. is back to like when I saw you coming out of school that day, <laughs> yeah, right. I was like, I'm making poorest choices in life because I'm staring at underage girls outside of a school for some reason. No, it's ridiculous. Lock the windows, close the doors. She gets down on all fours. Yes, I was like, this this is fucking incredible. But the 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 thing the thing I like the most about this <laughs> it song, don't mean though, spit to me. I know it's got the it has like the like the whole lot of love Led Zeppelin thing. It's just yeah. I, I want a whole lot of woman. I mean, I, I think the thing I like about this is that so many random things thrown into one song that's genius. The the riffs change a lot of times. You know what I mean? It like moves around a lot. Oh sure, that's one of the cool things about it. And I you know, I um I know it. He didn't really get maybe it's the Van Zen guy, but Gene does have a. A, a certain knack when he's really in his zone to just get all kind of fucked up and weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. With songwriting. And I like that about him. If I have one complaint about this song, it's the 
don't mean spit to me. I don't know if that's supposed to be some pun or a play on words like it don't mean shit to me. Of course it is. Because that's really lame. Yeah, yeah. No, listen, the lyrics are ridiculous in this song, but it's kind of like his, it his deuce. It's kind of like his deuce. He likes to use different words for shit. You know, I'm worth a deuce. Uh, anyway. Yeah, but that was cool. This uh, is like, I don't know, I was at a truck stop and I'm 50 humor. <laughs> anyway, but but the music makes up for it and the vocals, all that stuff. So Spit I think it's a happens, lot of fun. Plus the trade off on Paul and Gene singing. So. And, and that's the thing that's funny is when I hear people complain, well, well the, ridic- the the lyrics are too ridiculous. I'm like, how? Do, what does that have to do with anything? All of Kiss lyrics, for the most part, are ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, this is the song. This is the one that that, that broke your the camel's back or whatever. I mean, yeah. I mean, come on. Got no manners and I'm not too clean, but I know what I like. If you know what I mean, what do people say? Well, Mister, can't you see? It don't mean spit to me. Want a lot of woman with a lot of love. Well, thin is in, but it's plain to see. It don't mean spit to me.
So <clears throat> then we go into which apparently, and if I hear them back to back, I guess I can tell some subtle differences. But the version of God gave rock and roll to you, uh, Roman numeral two, which I thought I always thought was weird that they did that. Just you know, I get the fact they changed it, but what did you think about that? Putting the number well, two at the end. I'm a big fan of the Petra song. God gave rock and roll to you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I don't know. I didn't care about that. I mean, yeah, I, I always thought it was kind of weird too, as far as the title. The uh, it was on the Bill and Ted soundtrack, and you know Eric Carr was still alive, so he was in the music video, and it was there, his last real. Um, I mean, he he didn't play on the song, unfortunately, but it was the last real we contribution. Did, to, to we didn't his. know that. Maybe you did with your undercover shit. But uh, no, I didn't know it. No, I I probably definitely found out years later. I mean, yeah. you know, maybe in one of their videos, you know, that he didn't. But apparently this version is different than the one that Bill and Ted's. Like it's amped up or it's remixed. Yeah, I'm with you. It's it's subtle. Very it, subtle. There really isn't yeah, there's not a lot of major difference to it. I um I liked it when it first came out. I like it a lot more now. Now do you I've heard people like like you're not a, a fan of songs that I guess are on soundtracks or something like that first and then they throw them on an album, but but I, I've always liked this song. Yes, no? Yeah, yeah, me too, and I thought it fit on here. And it, it's a little different with this one than, than typically because uh, they worked with Bob, you know, on the song for the soundtrack. And, you know, as producer Bob Ezrin I'm talking about. Uh, and the fact that that was kind of more of a foray into them going, you know what, we might want to do a record with you. Right. You know, so it was more like a stepping stone. It was more like they did like a one song session to see if it would work. They said yes and then kept going. And then in the meantime, they let uh, Bill and Ted have it for a movie. Yeah. And, and for me, I, I'm always a sucker for a, a Gene and Paul trade off vocal. I mean, even if the song, the only time that doesn't apply is the, the, the song Stand, which is an abomination. <laughs> Well, you're not going to get an argument from me on that. Uh, no kidding. Yeah. I always, you know what? The weird thing is that like um, uh, sometimes I can fixate on symmetry and the lack of evenness over who sings when always threw me for a loop on this. You know, it doesn't go two lines, Gene, two lines, Paul. It's like, you know, there's a little, you know, it's cool. But I, like I said, that, that, that just definitely something that stuck out. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of, that was uh I actually liked that about it. And I also liked when they were on the tour that they always played Shout It Out Loud at the same time. They, they always did like that leading into this song. Hmm. Yeah, that's cool. You know what I mean? It's kind of saying, yes, this is kind of the same idea.
I give it a one. Yeah, as as do I. This def, definite one, and I always was confused. I'm like, is he saying road? What do you mean we've been given a road? What road? There's a road called rock People, and roll. Give it a give it a gift. Give it give it a road, and that road's name is rock and roll. <laughs> Yeah. What, what's not to understand, you fucking idiot? Oh, I'm sorry. I did. I didn't know. I've never seen the road rock and roll. I've never gone down it. Going. If a, I was him, I would have done more like. Look, I know life sometimes can get tough. <laughs> you know what would be great is if he said, "You've been given a gift. You've been given a road called rock and roll. Going 69." <laughs> oh my! See, this is why people need us. Going back to the tour real quick, because I think what we'll do with the tour is we'll just we'll just talk little bits about it. Is is that uh, I am somebody that thought the fact that they threw a rock and roll all night in the middle of the set was fucking awesome. Your thoughts? I don't actually remember. I mean that clearly. I I trust if uh, you say it, it's true. No, they would always play it in the middle of the set. They would play it like uh, number ten, and it was Mm. never like that. The the encore or whatever, which I thought was awesome. That's on. That's how it is in Alive Two as well. It's like track eight out of Alive Three. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Yes, Alive Three. Um. Yeah. No, that that actually is a, a refreshing. Do they still call it the Rock and Roll National Anthem? Uh, of course they did. I guess I'm fine with that. Actually, I don't want to be too snarky on that. <laughs> and the version of Alive Three, I actually like of Rock and Roll Night. It's faster. It's, uh, um, I don't know. It's, it's just different. It was refreshing to see that they, they, they flipped it up. They didn't play it exactly as it was on the, uh, you know, back in the day. Have you ever noticed that? It is a different you know, style? Uh, yeah, I, I did. And it's, it's funny that we're talking about a live three because, oh man, a couple of years ago, I was pretty down on the record, but I hadn't listened to it in a while. And about three or four months ago, I listened to it like, I don't know, fucking probably packing up Christmas ornaments and <laughs> okay. it, it was great uh I, I think it's a really solid live record um you know it, it just it doesn't have that nostalgic tie that the first two do to me but my god I enjoyed it like almost as much as I enjoy listening to Unplugged it's, it was just really cool and yeah there's some kind of a nice little tempo to it I will say this I, I'm not really a big fan of the way Eric Singer plays the classic songs it's not that he's bad at it. It's just there's something, I don't know, it's just not there for me. No, I hear you. But but that's another thing that, that fans shit on is that album. And I know the fact that they did a ton of re-recording and stuff like that, which didn't make any sense to me because I, I thought they sound fucking great on, on their tour. Um, but, but like, I love the opener of Creatures of the Night going into Deuce. That's a great one-two punch. Yeah, no, that, that was really cool.
one of the guests at Rock and Pods is is it Gary Corbett is that his name. Yeah, one of the coolest guests that Desperate Geese ever had, by the way. A- a- I, I think he's very interesting. Absolutely, but the thing that that I don't understand, and, and maybe you can explain it to me better, is I understand why he was off stage you know, um, during Crazy Nights, Hot in the Shade to a degree, but. What was his point? It actually kind of pisses me off because I thought they sounded so great on the revenge tours. What would he do? What was his point during during the revenge tour? I mean, what did they need him for except for like forever? There's there's no like keyboards in any of those there songs. There is probably I mean every his presence as a keyboard player in Kiss um, is very much an off stage role. I know. I, I think nowadays they probably do. It's just programmed. It's like clicked in. Um, there's probably a ton of like little accenty stuff that that he kind of did, pr- even on that tour. Uh, that that just isn't really noticeable or, or you know. Uh, it's one of the things I actually kind of respect about Kiss is that they they typically what you're seeing is what you're hearing, and when they do something like that. It's not the equivalent of like Robert Mason singing for Ozzy off stage. You know what I mean? It, it it it's it's just a little touch up. It adds a little body to it. It's not like backing cor- tracks. Is it the like they punch up the choruses and things like that? He, I, he probably watched. like adds some like it's. I bet it's a lot of low tone stuff, but I really don't know. Uh, but it just kind of adds a little beef to the sound. You know, hmm. interesting because that that kind of soured me on it because I was like, of all the tours. That makes the least sense that he was in the back. That he was off stage. That's, that was that's, the, the probably the the heaviest tour, right? You know, right. But uh, moving on, uh, Domino. Let me tell you my story. Man, I got a predicament that's as big as my penis. <laughs> I always thought it was funny that the. The version, and they didn't have it on the um, on the radio. Like I was telling last episode, they played this all the time in this classic rock station that I yeah that I, they have. They said balls on the version, but then yeah, that's what I I, I hate that got to have it all. Yeah, like, seriously, I mean, there's been so many examples of like, especially at that time. Why is Kiss being censored on the word balls? I, I, I'll, I'll tell you what I thought was funny is the fact that they, they censor balls, but they say when that bitch bends over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, technically, bitch is a female. Do- well, balls are fucking something you throw at a kid in the tennis court. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like that's much more offensive. <laughs> like, right now, people are like, where do you play tennis? <laughs> <laughs> hey, kid! <laughs> this song um, is so fun. It is. Sugar Daddy, I love it. It, the, the, the line, uh, I'm, in, I'm in trouble uh, if she's not old enough to vote or however that goes. I mean, my God. Uh, I, one of the, uh, as a guitar player, it is so fun to play. That, I never get sick of it. And were you uh, aware of the fact this is the first time they took advantage of Tommy Thayer? No, at the time, hell no. Yeah, what was that song? It was a terrible song by Black and Blue, but it had the same riff. Oh, is that, oh, is that what you're referring to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, it doesn't wait, matter. That's not this song, is it? Yeah, it is. This is the one what? that he didn't give a co-write to him. What's the it, riff? Nasty, nasty is the song that this is this this steals. Trust me. 
You can listen to the after playback of dun, this episode. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, I get it. else on that one except it's just a fun song great single i mean the it should it should have been the second single we talked yep. about that in the last episode yep i really think this record would have taken off a little bit more if this would have been single number two um but uh that wouldn't have been paul stanley's second proudest moment no and i actually will go to the fact that i think it should have gone on holy domino in this next song i actually 
I actually love Heart of Chrome. Your thoughts? I don't think it's a single. I, yeah, it's I can um, see that. just like Tough Love. It's the, it's almost like the the riff reversed. You play the beginning of those two songs back to back, and you're gonna hear what I'm saying. It's like one. It's like the riff goes up, and the riff goes down. No, I've heard that before. Okay. But uh, but no, the thing that I like about Harder Chrome the most is the is the is uh, the chorus is great, and I love his vocals on it, and I also like the whole um, uh, you you taped our sexy conversations and sold them to the BBC. I think is a really cool cool line as well. I love the the chorus is where it falls flat for me. Wow, that's um, the difference. That's the difference. The, I love- the rest of the song is, is I'm with you. Huh? I like the fact that it's just the interplay of. Of because uh, I think it's Gene's uh, singing. I forget which part, but it, it kind of like he has that, and he's just wailing, saying random things. Yeah, um, he's like, "Hey, baby." Yeah, it's oh well, it's I got an, oh no, Gene. Hear, Gene is doing the I got an angry soul. I got soul. an angry soul. I got broken I got home. A broken home. Right, right, and that's again something that's very unique. That I hadn't heard for a long time is them kind of doing the interplay back and forth on the on the, on the chorus. in the room and that this is basically you know babe from sticks redone by kiss seriously no, no. Oh, okay <laughs> i don't know is this a ripoff of anybody no i don't know probably black and blue <laughs> again all he does is you just like threatens him to, be, to they're fire so him. underrated by the way per- perfectly <laughs> rated 100 <laughs> percent Another band I love that is perfectly rated. You love them? Oh, I'm a 
I have everything by black and blue. Oh my god. I didn't even know they existed until many years later. I, I I've tried to listen to them. I'm like, no. They no. may have been the first band that <laughs> that whole conversation you have I had now for about a year. Where it was like it was this one kid in eighth grade. He had a black and blue T-shirt in Owatonna, Minnesota, and he's like, "Yeah, these guys are really underrated." <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't hear him for a long time. I bought their tape, but uh, eventually, uh, yeah, they got a couple great songs and a lot well, of not great songs, and I don't know whatever. Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we? Uh, why don't you feature a song right now and spice it up? Uh, well, let's just take the easy one. Hold on to 18.
So yeah, moving on from that song, I just want to make a comment here, and that's that, you know, obviously 92, 91, which we did the the greatest year of rock before, yes? Indeed. You know, that was a big mix of everything from, you know, that's the year of supposedly grunge killed, um, you know, the 80s rock dead. and But yet that year, Guns N' Roses had Use Your Illusion, you had Ozzy's No More Tears, you had Metallica's obviously one of the biggest selling albums of all time. Etc. We can go on, but yeah. Look, but how did Tora Taurus sell that year? Um, I believe not. Wild well. America. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Nirvana. Yeah, they were eclipsed by Danger Danger or anybody that had t- two <laughs> two of the same words in their, t- their their the name of their band. Man. But so moving on, um, you know, one of the reasons I thought this album was bigger too is that, and this is this is random. I'm talking about like in college, I would go to random, you know house parties, things like that. And one of the things I do is a, is a, is a weird dude is I look at the, the guy that was hosting the party's CD collection. Did you ever do that? Oh, of course. Okay, so it's by their stereo. They're playing whatever. No girl was going to have sex with me. That's all I had to do. <laughs> so I would, I, would, I would check it out. And I saw this Revenge album at tons of people's homes. Like at the time. That, so it must have been bigger in the Midwest than it was in other places, but I, I would see it al- alongside, you know, Pearl Jam 10, Soundgarden. Yeah, I don't thing. think I saw this at anybody's house that I was like not expecting to see it at. Let's yeah, that's that that's what I'm trying to explain is that I that I saw this. I'm like, oh, wow. Um, so yeah, that, that was, again, with the tour, uh, like you made a joke about the whole thing, like, you know, almost the, the Creatures of the Night tour where you throw the pick out and. It would, it would it would go over the guy's head and land on the floor with nobody there, right? Yeah. Was that your was that your was that your experience? Um, it was definitely because this was the first I saw him twice on on Hot in the Shade, and both times in two different places were just jam packed. Huh. And not so much at this one. There was a lot of empty seats in the upper deck for sure. Um, I mean, it was decent. You know, it wasn't it wasn't that bad. But considering they were just coming off that kind of big high, it just shows you how much things had changed from '89 to '92. Interesting. Yeah. So, so I saw them. Um, it didn't yeah. help having Great White supporting their uh, Psycho City tour and Trickster as uh, they were supporting. I think the Here record there's their follow-up to their only hit album you know because it was like slaughter and faster pussycat and slaughter and winger on the hot in the shade it was a much bigger draw they oh were my hot God. bands at the time yes yes no that was a terrible opening band i remember so it was a general admission show i remember it was freezing freezing balls uh we had a blizzard here we almost didn't make it so we're in line forever we we get in there i remember just i remember i remember just being being packed we were up front and uh, I will tell you that, that from that tour, I think the Hot in the Shade and the Revenge tour were the best stage uh, sets they had. Mm-hmm. I liked it because it had depth. It seemed more unique between the Sphinx and uh, Statue of Liberty. And I'm the, just the- kind of tracing it back. For some reason, and maybe because it's the one that I didn't get to see, but Asylum was <laughs> always kind of cool to me. The massive Kiss logo, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And there's no... Yeah, no I, how I, I is there no... I, I have to say this. How is there no... Pro shot footage of that tour anywhere. I, that's un. Well, that probably just shows you where they were financially at the time. Right, but that's, that's crazy though. That that's the only tour that you have nothing on. Yes, 
Yeah, yeah. I have like a a really really bad VHS of one of their shows, shot from the fucking rafters. I'm gonna and you know eighty five. How hard would it be to get a goddamn? I mean, this, these things are the size of like four phone books to get into it. You know, I know. Um, How'd that guy get in? Yeah. Anyway, so but yeah, no, I get where you're going. Yeah, I I, I thought um, yeah, I, I would I would agree. I thought Hot in the Shade and uh, Revenge were great uh, stages. And that's why I was amazed when they did the reunion that it wasn't anything bigger, because that's what I was expecting. Initially, you know, was, they they were just trying to like uh, kind of redo the '77 stage, right? Uh, yeah, they didn't really do it though. There's no there's no big staircases. There was it was basically two screens, Kiss logo in the in the middle, and uh, you know obviously the show was them. But but I thought that what it showed to me was that they were so financially like it was such a they're like we're going all in on this for the reunion and we're not going to spend that much on the stage show because we can't even afford it hmm. yeah i don't know if i agree with that hmm. i mean they had a lot of like advanced money that was guaranteed they could have done almost anything they wanted to unlike revenge right but but by doing so it'd make it less profitable and they need to make it as much as profitable as humanly possible that's my yeah, because Gene was building a house before the tour started. <laughs> you knew that, okay? I do know that. I All didn't right. know it then, but thou shalt not. I love thou shalt not you, as do I. This gets a strong one for me. I love the whole thing where it's it's very uh, Carnival Souls like in that zone where he's absolutely like, yes. yeah. This is actually. I mean, we were talking about earlier. I would say this is more of a, a segue between Hot in the Shade and Carnival Souls than it is. Just uh, hot in the shade with Bob Ezrin producing it. Yeah, I, I, I like every every moment of this song. It's just it's badass Gene, and that's that's what I loved about his resurgence here. You know, he's he's being dirty Gene on Domino. He's being a badass on Unholy, and Thou Shalt Not is kind of his second one. You know, between he does basically two sex songs, and he's back to like that whole just. Yes, like he, he, yeah, and, and the thing is, like, um, even there's still, like you said, you talk about there's still kind of they're they're talking about sex. One of the things that are disappoint, I mean, uh, the songs aren't very good on Monster and and Sonic Boom, in my opinion, regardless <laughs> of the lyrics. But one of the things that really sticks out is how they're like they've kind of gotten to like this almost creepy old man juvenile. Dirty lyrics, whereas, like, if you look at where they were in 92, they were still kind of doing that stuff, but there was a little more depth and, like, they were allowed to progress as individuals, but now that they have the, the makeup back on, they can't, and it's it's too bad because as we're looking at this, this is kind of what's missing. It's like, just, just kind of grow and, and, and evolve into who you are. Don't no. sell me on this idea, a concept, or a brand, you know? And and this is a great example. Thou shalt not. It's 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 just kind of a heavy kind of fucking cool tune, man. Listen, Jack told me I was chosen to kiss 
got that right. Right. And between, besides the 70s, uh, my favorite zone of Kiss is 89 until 96. I yeah, think that's yeah. I think that's the most interesting. If I had to pick a block. Yeah, if you had to Maybe a block. I would go 82 to 84. I don't know. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, those, those are great albums there. But, but I I'm, always lean towards the heavier years, and that's exactly what you're doing here, so... But but with that too, it's the most. I think it's the most interesting because they're just kind of like rekindling. They're trying to figure out what the hell they're going to do. They're in. You don't know it until later, but you know that they're in like kind of you know financial uh, shithole. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. they're just trying to figure out. And they were, they were more. I'll tell you this. This is this is one of their most creative times, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So, anything else to say about that one? No, love it. Cool. Solid one for me, too. And the next one, I'll just give you my review of the song, and that is a big, steaming fucking turd. I hate this song. <laughs> I, I, It's it's Forever's uh, red-haired stepchild that's thrown into a well and uh, uh, left, hopefully, to never be seen again. Uh, I, I, it's, it's so calculated. It does. It comp- but besides that, it feels so out of place on this album. That it's ridiculous. That's my problem with it. I don't actually think it's a bad song. Uh, I, I, <laughs> funny thing, and it's is not. Funny. It's not because it's a ballad. It's because for me, it's not. Oh a good no, ballad. I know you. Actually, you're probably a bigger fan of ballads than I am. Mm-hmm. I love a great ballad, and typically, popularity and great don't always go hand in hand. This mm-hmm. is not a popular one, though. Oh, uh, no, it just doesn't fit on this record at all. I just, it seems like it was like if there was ever any appeasement done during this whole process, this is it. And it was like just to kind of keep the peace because uh, it just, I, I actually don't have a problem with the way Paul Stanley described what kind of song it was on that Jericho interview, like more of a Rod Stewarty thing. But. It's just like you said; it's out of place. I actually don't mind the song. Is I definitely don't feel the way you do about it. But it on this record, there's no need. It would be a stronger album without it. Yeah, and 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 in summary, with this because of that, I give it a zero. Yeah, I give it a zero too. And you know, this is basically their hard luck woman follow up to Beth, except it's not good for me. So you know, that's a great comparison. I never thought about it that way. Yeah, it's it's like let's try it. You know, Beth was a huge hit, so let's do Hard Luck Woman. And I like Hard Luck Woman a lot. I do not like Beth, but I, I do like Hard Luck Woman. <laughs> it's the opposite. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, whatever. I I agree, one hundred percent. Okay, cool. Moving on, Paralyzed, another song that gets that that throughout uh, Kiss podcasts I've heard and things like that gets shit on a lot. Your thoughts first. It's okay. I mean. I'm, Again, at this point, I'm I'm just so enraptured with the entire record. Um, I I remember at the time I, I accepted every time I look at you because it's it was still like you gotta have the ballad. But looking back at the time, no, you don't. But paralyzed. So going from that to paralyzed, it was I don't know. Life has got me paralyzed. Not my favorite track, but not the worst song on here. I'll give it a point five. Yeah, for me on this, the thing I liked about it is it just sound. It didn't even sound completely like a Kiss song. It was just, it was just cool. I liked. Uh, it was a, it was a good groove. I liked that whole weird middle part where he's saying a bunch of random shit, which you can't really hear. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, I, I just, 
it's almost it's to me it's kind of um domino's uh cousin where it's kind of that that groove it almost could be like a zz top kind of thing you know what um, this is maybe that's easy top goonies what? go ahead you ever seen yeah. the movie goonies of course I have. It's a it's classic. This is um. What's that thing that lives in the basement that's chained up? Oh, uh, I forget. But it's it, it's it's uh. So there's no there's no line about uh, baby Ruths. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying. Baby like, Ruth? Yeah, you're right. This is Domino's cousin. But this is Domino's cousin chained in the basement that uh, um <laughs> uh, the, that gets the the knuckle shuffle, whatever that guy's name is, but. Okay, so I, again, just a cool Gene song, something I hadn't heard. It was definitely okay. Give it this; it's at least unique uh, versus last. It's actually unique in general for them. Very much so. I, okay. I, yeah. Anyway, I, I get I get this one to one. It sounds like it's a half for you. Yeah, that's probably our first different, huh? I think so yeah. far we've been equal other than that. Yep. So and a one there. And let's follow it with, uh, f- uh, finish it with Summertime Blues. Yeah. I want to raise a fuss and I want to raise a holler. Most people haven't heard that song, Loose Cannon. <laughs> I like this song, 
Um, it still gets a one for me, but but uh, the whole fa things does bring it down a bit. Uh, it was yeah, to me that's kind of like the um the, the the don't mean spit to me. Yeah, it's like uh, it's just come on. I you I get it. This is like trucker humor. Uh, and you know how much I love covers. I recorded a cover of this where I play every instrument. <laughs> I have to hear that, but we'll play that right now. I gotta find a bit for sin and an appetite for passion. Yeah, I'm considering the road and I'm looking for some action. I got my finger on the trigger and the message is still. song still gets a one but the the fact is i love the verses i'm not a fan of the chorus and i also like the bridge that's you know i'll say this right now too this is the only kiss album that almost every song has a bridge Hmm, i don't really score things that way but i get you no no i'm saying if you if you look at it like it's usually it's usually verse verse chorus verse chorus solo repeat chorus done and this one these almost I think every song has a bridge now for better or worse. Like I, I like this bridge a lot. Yeah, no, I think it's that, that wake up, yep, baby. That, that. I like this song a lot. I really think the video is cool too. 
And uh, I don't care that he ripped off Summertime Blues. I don't care that he thinks that nobody's ever heard it. Um, I think it's cool. Why especially don't care? Because unlike you, I'd never heard that until later, until I was told it was a ripoff of Summertime Blues. Then I went and listened to it, and I was like, okay, yes, it is. So anyway, okay. So the next the next uh, song, if you want to call it that, is the uh, Car Jam 1981. And I will tell you this: I this is probably the only drum solo that I like. Like I've heard it compared to Moby Dick. Moby Dick bores me to death; it goes on forever. This mm-hmm. this does the. I understand that the beginning riff is, I guess, stolen from. I can't remember what what Ace Frehley song. Breakout. Breakout. Um, like the little riff. Uh, the solo only takes about two minutes, but it hits like all the different, you know, things a drum solo should be and closes it out. Also, obviously it has the, the, um, I guess the, however you want to call it, the integrity or the, the relevance of, of Eric Carr that passed away. And I just think it's a really cool way to end the album. Your thoughts. Um, I don't think we should score this song. What do you, do you agree or do you want to give it a score? Uh, we can take it out. We'll just say it. We'll just do this uh, because it's an eleven track album. I'm fine with that. I mean, yes, just because because of what it is, it really isn't really meant as an actual song. Sure. Um, I thought it was cool they did it. I thought it was a dick move to act like nobody's ever heard the riff before. Um, I have no problem at all with the way they packaged it and the way they presented it especially in hindsight with everything we know now about how things went down um, and, and knowing their relationship with Ace, it just seems like how can you honor somebody and also stick it to somebody at the same time? It's just like this, this, that's that riff. And this song was co-written by Eric and Ace and is on an Ace Freely record. And you have to know that a bulk of your fans are going to know that. And to pretend like, eh, no, this is this is this is a new song. It's called Car Jam. I thought it was a really shitty way to fucking try to tribute him. And it's like, I don't know, man. I'm not wasn't that cool with it. I wasn't cool with it then, and I was still the Kool Aid drinker. And I'm like, I, I just, it just seemed really, really shitty and petty. I did not know that until much later too. So I, I get that, and, and actually, it wasn't until I heard. Like years later, I heard uh, the Ace Frehley song, and I was like, "Why do I know this riff?" And I'm like, "Holy shit! I can't believe this is this is the the riff from Eric, you know, the the Car Jam." So I, and I, I believe re- they they worked on it together during the Elder sessions. Yeah, that's um, that's, that's some, the history. Some can correct me how, on that, but how did, how did they not get away? How did they get away with not doing a co-write on that? Is my question. <laughs> well, what I'm guessing is is that uh, you know Eric actually played you know guitar and bass and stuff. Okay. Uh, I'm guessing he actually wrote the riff. Gotcha. Yeah. Because it's just attributed to him, just his car. Mm-hmm. You're right. Interesting. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, just to go into the album itself, too, I thought the cover was, well, basic. You know, you know, it's on... Uh, I like it a lot. Yeah, I like it a lot, too. Um, uh, sure. And uh, I have uh, some uh, really groundbreaking news about the picture on the back that will probably shock you. I know what it is. You mentioned it earlier, and that is yeah, that yeah. They, are, they, they are rented leather coats. Yes. Can you and believe it? I liked They're all trying of them. to pass it off like they own them. I liked all of them except for Paul's, which looks like he's wearing a leather flasher coat. 
Yeah, you know what? I liked it at the time more than I do now looking at it. <laughs> it's very long. Gene I love Gene's look at this time, though, oh with the, the facial hair. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck he's doing now with that weird kind of, like, helmet wig and no facial hair. Yeah. Get a goatee. It's going to hide your chin, Gene. I know you got to shave it for, you know, live shows, but something no, tells me you can grow it back pretty quick. This is, this is the coolest he ever looked. He looked like a badass during this time. Absolutely. Um, and the and whole Eric, thing. Uh, Eric Singer, the first uh, blonde member yep. of KISS. I remember that being kind of odd when I saw him in the video, but I was like, at the same time, I thought it was kind of cool that they were like, okay, fuck it. We don't have to. And actually, it. the first not dye your hair black, black member of the band. Yes, yes. I mean, Peter let a little bit of gray go there for a while, but I mean, Paul was like, you're going to get fired soon. <laughs> All right, Paco, I think that was a good summary. I really like doing that because, again, this is one of those pivotal albums that took me down the rabbit hole of spending way too much money on bootleg tapes in the 90s. And, oh, sure. Uh, and finding all the uh, – I remember still going in college even. I was like, what the hell is wrong with me? I would actually go and find um, – remember microfiche? <laughs> Do you remember microfiche? Oh, yeah, yeah. I would go back and find articles in Rolling Stone. Yeah, me too. Um, like I heard, uh, that's the first time I read the article that, that compared their their music to Buffalo Farts. I don't know if you've ever heard, <laughs> if you ever read that yeah, one. Yeah. Okay. I never found the article, but yeah, I know the the, the comment you're talking about. No, I've I read the article. It's spectacular, um, and 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 things like that. So it it just this was the beginning of of my addiction. So uh, thanks for doing this. Um, you have anything else to say? About this? Um, yeah, just real quick, I'll just say that, you know, you were talking about this kind of your beginning. This was getting close to when I was start, starting to peek behind the curtain and just have a little more honest view about uh, about the band that oh, is still I, my favorite band. I, I know what it was, too, is the fact that they put all this hype out about the, ex, the extreme close-up video was the part that really got me, was the whole thing with, you know, that we fucked up for a decade and all this stuff like that. This is the real thing now. Do you remember all that stuff? It's, it's ridiculous watching it now, but at the time I really bought into it. Oh, same here. Yeah. I was like, exactly. Gene's back. Right. That whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. And they really sold it as now we're, 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 we're back. We're, we're greater than ever. And it, and it was just very um, interesting how that whole video was packaged. So it was that plus this album that really cemented, Another um, example of Gene taking one for the team. Yep, exactly. That so. and all the fat girls he fucked in the seventies. <laughs> but no, I love the record. Uh, it was it was really cool, um, and you know it really was like the the last hurrah. I mean, honestly, because the next thing they really did was the reunion tour. Yep, and the, I mean the unplugged album came out and that stuff. Yeah. So everything from this point was besides uh, Carnival Souls was creativity is over let's revel mm-hmm. in the past and let's milk this this shit for as much as we can and and if uh if you don't mind indulging me i have kind of an idea i think we could kind of we should do kiss theme podcast during the month of july and call it Kissmas in july what do you think <laughs> done i think that we'll use we'll use this for one of them what do you say brilliant you're the best um should we close it out we should close it out brock's not dead it's hiding. And you found it, people! Merry Christmas.
92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All because of a fancy bike? It's not just a bike. Peloton makes treadmills too. Eh, all treadmills are the same. Our treadmills can adjust speed and incline automatically, so you never break your stride. Whether you're squeezing in a power walk or training for a marathon, Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try the Peloton Tread risk-free with the 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship. The studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.